hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? Well, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Kanja Book Club, the weekly Star Wars book club podcast brought to you by the Utini Network. This is the show where we intentionally experience Star Wars stories together one month at a time. Today, we are talking Greater Good by Timothy Zahn, chapters 21 through 26. We get to finish The Beast. This is episode 37. I am one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, and I am joined this week by the newly announced patriarch of the KBC, Adam Dyson. How are you, Adam? Going pretty well, Timothy. My first resolution is to remove you from the family. You I, take, I make that decision home. with a heavy heart. <laughs> Listen. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I am happy that you followed through from two weeks ago after calling, calling me Thurfy, and that took integrity. It, it did. It was hard. But, you know, we do things sometimes because they are hard, not because they are easy. And one of the things that I did this week that is hard is um, Patrick's new name. Um, we are joined by the Patriarch's trusted frenemy from the Iritzi family. We have Iritzi Patrick McIntosh Alani Wami Ding Dong. How are you, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one that's been drinking today. <laughs> I wish I had. <laughs> uh, I think your wish got fulfilled, buddy. Oh, man. No, I did a fun name for Adam last week, and I was like, I need to do a fun name for Patrick this week. And <laughs> nothing like like Lamy Wami Ding Dong fits your character, I feel like. <laughs> hey, Lord. <laughs> If you've been drinking in that closet, Timothy, we're going to have to talk. <laughs> there's one thing about brunch drinking, and then there's another thing about drinking in the closet. That's some uh, country depression music mess. Listen, we... I, I've got plenty of stashes of things hidden in my, like, my, my uh, you know, button-down pockets. I've got a couple jackets in here that can store some small containers. I'm fine. How else do you think I do this show every week with you fools? <laughs> Adam, I think we got to take him to HR for this. Uh, yep. Don't, Caitlin, we're, we're writing up a report. Please, please don't bring her into this. <laughs> Too late. Oh man. Well, I'm glad that you guys are here. Finally, we are joined once again by Utini Patreon Jedi High Council member Cheryl Bell, the absolute hero of this podcast and the namesake of the month of Cheryl. Cheryl, we are so glad that you're here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And I would say that if uh, if Timothy goes, I go. So. Fair oh, enough. like that? You heard that, boys. Hey, you see how they do it? I have an ally. <laughs> nope, the Civil War has started. The podcast wars are there. <laughs> Bless you, Cheryl. Um, I am so glad to have all of you here. Um, I'm glad to have all of our friends listening to us, whether live um, in the chat or listening to wherever. You're... Guys, I was doing some research. I know I'm going on a tangent here. I was looking at some of our analytics, right? We have... 700 downloads like people have listened chosen to listen to us 700 times that is bonkers and like that may not be like much in the grand scheme of things but like i don't know it means a lot to me and it, it's really nice so thank you all mm -hmm. all there out there listening to us we really really appreciate it um and cheryl's episodes have been a hit this month has been awesome um our highest listened to ever so Oh wow. wow! Yeah, but if we 
if we don't hit the thousand in like two weeks, Corey's going to take us off the air. So if you guys could download, <laughs> I will more fight and more, him for it. Great. <laughs> I, I know all the passwords. <laughs> we're all just going to download us on Spotify over and over and over. It's like, yeah, we're gonna. I've got the keep my job. Here. I've got the original audios. We'll strike out on our own. I can edit things. We're good. We're good. There you go. Anyways, we know how this works. <laughs> we are live in Discord every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern, and our episodes hit the Teen Network feeds every Tuesday morning right around midnight. We don't have too many updates. Um, we did cross a 1,000 members in Discord last week, a couple weeks ago. Um, we're working on some things behind the scenes, hoping to have some kind of a giveaway soon. Um, that's all that I'm going to say about that, because I don't want to overcommit myself to something. But we're going to try to do something, so be on the lookout. Um, giveaway Kat- confirmed. Yeah, there you go. Cafes released a new episode um, yesterday. If you're listening to this on podcast, uh, then it came out on Friday uh, for our patrons. Um, Meg will be replaying. I think she said it was KOTOR. Um, and she's going to try to give some updates over in the Cafes channel. So um, definitely tune into that. It's a fun, fun show. Um, I love Heather and Meg to pieces. They are um, just a hoot to listen to. And their opening theme song is quite catchy. Um, so plug not just, plug to them <laughs> not just one of the best Star Wars games but probably one of the best video games period of all time I will die on that hill fight me I need to give it another shot I really do I really do well next on our book schedule um, so in June we are going to be covering Age of Rebellion the limited comic series came out a handful of years ago um, and Emma Park will be joining us on week two um, to talk about the heroes. I am super excited about that. Um, she had some family stuff going on for week one. Um, and unless she can find a way to ditch them for an hour, <laughs> um, but uh, we're expecting to have her on week two and I'm super excited about it. Um, in July, we're going to be covering the rising storm by Kevin Scott. And then in August, we're going to do something completely out of the norm for us. So we're going to have like a variety month and it's going to look like a couple of different things. We might talk about some of our favorite books outside of Star Wars. We're going to talk about the fact that at that point we will have been podcasting for a year. So maybe talking about some of our favorite moments from the last little bit. Who knows? Who knows? I might even let Patrick plan the whole thing and there's no telling how that's going to turn out. So, um, oh, <laughs> there will be mimosas during this podcast. <laughs> if that happens, <laughs> Oh man. Well, I'm, I'm super excited uh, just to do something a little bit different, you know, and then we'll come back. Um, I believe unless Del Rey and our friend Tom surprise us with um, another random book that is supposed to come out in September, we will go back to doing a community book um, that month. So I'm really looking forward to it, but that's four months away. And that's, that's a long time. A lot can change between now and then. We're really... And the bribes will happen for our books to get picked individually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe if uh, maybe if you slip Cheryl a twenty, um, she might be able to get another Thrawn book on the air. You never know. Um, <laughs> I would take twenty dollars, but um, I'll Cheryl, just slide that twenty dollars yeah, on over to you, Timothy, and be like, "Can I be on the show again?" <laughs> <laughs> and I will take it. Cheryl, you're worth more than twenty. You're worth more than twenty. They should. Be- <laughs> yeah. We should be. We should be paying you. You're right. (laughs) You're right. Maybe we need our our own. In and you know, we all get drunk, Timothy, and watch something that's quite bad. Oh God, that would be crossover episode with Legends Look Back. This is this is a bonkers enough podcast. Sober, I can only imagine what would happen if we were all intoxicated. (laughs) What do you mean if? (laughs) 
We probably <laughs> could be the same. <laughs> say, I just came back from brunch. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris says watching the Ewok movie thing would would be quite hysterical, intoxicated. <laughs> I'm scared. I might have nightmares. Yeah, me. I was about to say, I'd, I'd have weeks of nightmares, probably. But let's not talk about nightmares. Let's talk about Thrawn Ascendancy Greater Good. We finished this book. It is full of surprises at the end, full of making me want to reread things, uh, because this book is important. Um, so let's just jump straight into it. We have full spoilers ahead, probably from sports a little bit, probably some spoilers for some other books, um, that have already been released. So just a heads up on that, but I'll give another spoiler warning once we get there. But this week we are primarily covering chapters 21 through 26 of greater good. If you haven't read the book and you plan to do so soon, continue at your own risk. Buckle up y'all. It's a fun summary. So when the spring hawk jumps Jump, God bless America. <laughs> did you say, say God bless America? I freaking did. Oh you know, sometimes, Lord. listen, I'm on like steroids and stuff. You never know what's going to happen. So, Adam, like I said, if we're drinking, okay. <laughs> if. Um, yeah, those, bottles, those, those bottles in his coat are empty. They are. Yeah. Um, um, well you know where he lives it's famous for tennessee whiskey mm-hmm. that it is the good stuff uh-huh uh, this he's been sipping all right when the spring hawk drops from hyperspace our heroes spot 20 gunboats coming towards them the vizier of the watif people is shocked and screeching Thrawn quickly destroys and disables a handful of gunboats and then orders that the plasma spheres be fired on the watif freighter wait what as the Grey Shrike appears above the remaining gunboats, they go silent. The Watif ship was remote piloting them, and the whole thing was a setup. Upon cleanup, the mid-captain from the Grey Shrike goes to speak with Thrawn and informs him of the Zodlak family emergency situation. We learn that two other families have also had emergencies called, and Thrawn is a bit unsettled. When the mid-captain gives Thrawn the brooch from Lakfro, Thrawn has a thought and goes to wake the magus as it matches her clothing. She's not happy with her agency being denied from Thrawn, and as she decides to die in frustration, Thalius jumps in and convinces her to wait, revealing the brooch to her. When she confirms the jewelry is from her world, she decides to fight for her people's survival. Thrawn and the Grey Shrike get in touch with Lakinda to catch her up on the events as the Ag Bui's goal suddenly becomes clear. The Chiss are heading to a civil war much like this podcast. Thrawn plans to use the remote-controlled Watif gunboats in an elaborate ploy to keep the other Chiss families from fighting each other, but they need to get to their destination ASAP. Lakinda beats the other two family ships to the refugees' planet, but the rival families appear quickly behind them, calling dibs on the world below, or shotgun, or, you know, just laying claims like they do. When they see the Springhawk in trouble coming from the other side of the world, Lakinda pulls rank on the other families to lead the way in aid. Playing decoy to the Civil War, Thrawn has split up a portion of his crew to remote pilot the gunships to strategic that's a hard word, strategically fire on their respective Chiss family ships. Suddenly, Lakinda sees a flaw in a plan um, and finds a way to send a message to Thrawn. But she's swiftly discharged from command by her second officer for disloyalty. Thrawn is able to confirm that she's no longer in charge and adjusts suitably. He intends to use Shuri at the weapon station to help tractor beam the freighter in a way that will go unnoticed to future inspections. But it requires her using third sight in reverse, pretty much. Thalius is not a fan of this idea. It could be dangerous, but Sherry is successful, though the experience leaves her dazed and unresponsive for a short time. 
All in all, she walks away fine. She's okay. When they return from the battle, Samakro speaks with Bakif. Even when he admits he doesn't like Thrawn, Samakro acknowledges that he's an incredible commander and will obey him no matter what. It appears that everyone is keeping the legitimate details of the major conflict secret to keep Thrawn safe from harm, falling behind their loyalty to the commander in charge. If people want answers, they'll need to speak with him directly. Lakinda finds herself speaking with Zestalmu. Everyone in the Zodlak family is pissed with her, but he congratulates her on her successes and loyalties to Arlani and the family. In a surprising turn of events, Lakinda is offered a trial-born position in the Aritzi family, though she's going to take her time to think it over. And then while all of that was going down, our primary antagonists had some interesting developments. Haplift's part in the ongoing conflict is over, and as he prepares to leave Selwis, Lakfro shows up and threatens him. Left with no choice, Haplift attempts to kill Lakfro, but the rancher, as he does, ends up with the upper hand. As Haplift goes into the darkness, he sees his ship leaving above him, content that Chiss' civil war was inevitable. When everything is over, Patriol Lacuni tries to put the pieces together, but isn't left with much. We learn that the Pathfinder has suddenly just disappeared, and that Yopelnik will probably get off easy. Just the poor, sweet kid that he is. And speaking of the Pathfinder, Kilori meets with Jixtus. It is abundantly clear that Thrawn needs to be factored into all future considerations, because obviously, for Haplift's part, he was left for dead for people to examine. Kilori is not at fault, as, and I quote, the Grisks lay blame only where it is deserved. Holy Bantha Pudu, Jixtus is a Grisk. Kilori doesn't know about the species, but he is still tasked with learning how the Chiss navigate through hyperspace. And to end it all, the myth speaker tells Thurfian that the patriarch has unfortunately passed away. When he asks who the successor will be, she announces that he has actually been the one chosen. Military duties have picked up, and they need someone with a good head to keep things in line for the family. His mind is reeling, but he accepts. He'll begin immediately. Patriarch of the myth. Thurfian. Oh my god. He's proud. Um, the former aide of the previous patriarch calls him on it. But then, the aide levels with severity that Thurfian will soon learn the ancient and true history of the family and, and of a terrible alien weapon known as Starflash. Holy cow! Okay, first, Jixtus is a grisk. That's absolutely bonkers. Did not see that coming at all, and I totally should have. I don't know how I missed it. Um, but let's... I gotta just say that. Okay, let's get to Thrawn first. Um, Patrick, I'll, I'll, start, I'll start with you. Um, what did you make of Thrawn's grand plan, all of the risks involved, um, and how it all turned out with the people defending him from harm in the end? Honestly... It really solidified his position in my mind as, like, probably one of the greatest in-universe tacticians of all time. Mm. And the whole time I was thinking of, what's the part of um of Ron Burgundy in the first, Anchorman in the first one, where he goes, I hate your guts, Ron Burgundy. But <laughs> god dang it, if I don't respect you. <laughs> That's all I thought of, like, some macro, just like, he hates, he probably hates him. But he'll run through a brick wall for him. Yes. Oh my god. I don't think he hates him, but What a connection. Like but he doesn't like him at all. He's someone that's like I can't stand him, but yeah, he's he's he knows his stuff and he can't you can't take You know, it's just like there's somebody like you probably work with somebody you like you really can't stand them, but you know like when it comes to doing their job Yeah, they're they're, they're above board. They're, like they get it done. Yeah, they're 
Yeah. Ooh, Kai Havertz. I, I still think Samacro respects him, though. He doesn't hate him. Yeah. I mean, you can hate somebody and respect him. <laughs> Cheryl says the no. Line between love and, well, the line between love and hate is a lot fuzzier than the line between like and dislike. Hmm. I don't know. Adam, what do you think? How did you feel about how all this went down? I mean, like, Thrawn has some pretty questionable calls. Um, it's a g- massive plan that definitely needs every little finely tuned piece to work right. Um, and then everybody defends him in the end. How, how do you feel about all that? Uh, the use of the drone ships reminded me of a different franchise as well, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Mm. And yes. they're using all the remote powered ships. I was like, that, oh, that just sounds so fun. <laughs> um, in terms of everyone protecting him, though, he just he respects those and his respect breeds respect from others and loyalty from others as well, on like a professional level. Um, some you don't have to like someone personally, but if especially if they they can gain your respect, and I think he Samacro is an example of that happening. Yeah. Well, and I wonder you know, across the board, like if it, and I can't remember this off the top of my head, but if it extends also to the other families that were involved, um, like, cause he's trying to prevent the civil war from happening. Um, and so whenever he, whenever you can bottleneck, all information is going to come from one person and one person alone that you don't risk any random pieces of information getting loose. Right. So that's, I, I thought it was brilliantly well done and he, he also doesn't want them to make I mean he doesn't want to make them seem stupid right like for going along with it and being a part of it I don't know Cheryl what do you think of all of this yeah my big takeaway was that I personally get from this part of the story is seeing Thrawn's comrades and officers really start to trust in him and respect him on a level that they previously may not have especially with Samacro and Lakinda in particular and even with the lower officers tasked with the feigned attack on their own families. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Thrawn's trust in Cherie's force abilities and for her to use them in a way she never really thought possible before was really great to see. Um, and just the whole everybody really working together as a team in a very tense and complicated situation was very enjoyable to me. Like, I love the ensemble victories. Yeah. And all the more reason for them to really rally behind Thrawn because they fully realized, as you said, that the Chiss could have just ended up in a civil war, which was clearly orchestrated by an outside threat. So yeah. they know that there's a lot more happening in the grand scheme of things now. And like, it, it just came so close and they have to respect him for that. And they do. And so they will protect him where he is most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Politics. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I love, you know, there's the, the, the quickness of his thinking of like, one, we're going to use these gunboats, but two, mm-hmm. we're going to make sure that within my ship, I've got multiple families represented and we're going to use those family members to fire on their own ships because that's going to be safest. Like to be able to think that quickly, um, like, yeah. there's a little bit of savvy there, but I also loved, you know, you bring up the, his political adeptness and it's, it, there's no question involved. It's just one of my favorite moments. And especially Mark Thompson's delivery in the audiobook. you know, there's the crew, um, the crew member that's concerned that Thrawn is doing this and, you know, having, um, you know, his comrades fire on other Chiss family ships, like because the, the he's myth and because the myth are going to gain something from another victory. Right. And, um, Samacro just 
It just says, I have never, never seen anyone as utterly incompetent at politics as he is. <laughs> and just the way that he is able to shoot straight with, you know, someone that's underneath him of like, no, listen, the, the big guy in charge, he is trash at this particular job. <laughs> um, it was just, it was a really cool moment, I, I think, to see um, that there really was nothing politically motivated by Thrawn because he doesn't see that. Um, and yeah, I, I, and I yeah, how he's cool. like easing the officers, like concern, like no, 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 it's okay. You don't even think you don't yeah. even need to think that avenue because that's not something that enters his realm of thought. Yep, yep, and it's definitely nothing that you should be concerned for. <laughs> like we're trying to make it out of this alive, so let's let's do this. Um, and then let's talk about Lakinda, um, someone else who's trying to figure out, you know, her own place in all this and what kind of politics play into things. You know, when she hears the plan from Thrawn, um, it is obvious that Arlani learned from him, which is something that she'd been pondering on her own for a bit. Um, you know, she then decides that she and Thrawn are different, but they'll both fight for the chest at the end of the day. Um, and this decision on her part, I think, is important um, because it leads to her taking ownership of every decision that plays out next. Like, she wrestles with her loyalty to family, but as we see in the end, like, I think she's learned to think for herself. Um, and as she gets her offer from Zestalmu, she thinks, well, when you see the saddle bull is about to throw you, jump off. And a couple of weeks ago, I asked if it were possible for Lakinda to basically be both successful and bring glory to her family. And to me, it looks like she might have achieved that in a way, though she's going to do it through another family. Cheryl, I'll start with you first. Like, what are your thoughts on Lakinda's journey? And do you think that she'll end up accepting Zestalmu's offer in the end? Yeah, and I think to your comment before, I think it's not about she's learned to think for herself. She's always thought for herself, but it's just a shift in focus and motivation for her now. We're seeing mm -hmm. her choose to put aside the selfish ambition for the greater good of the ascendancy as a whole. Mm. so like she shows growth and humility in these chapters and she's very much chooses to now work alongside Thrawn with determination and trust which is huge for her so and I'm gonna wager that she may accept that invitation if only because her family will never know the truth of her honor in this incident and on right. this day and the Iziri family is one of the nine so it's a significant advancement in status for her yeah, she comes from the outside jumping in. Like, being Zodalak, she's she's that 10th family, right? Uh, just almost there, and this would definitely get her mm -hmm. in that role. Yeah. Adam, do you have any thoughts on Lakinda's journey and uh, whether or not she'll take the take the offer? Yeah, I think she will take the offer, because I think she's grown beyond her current family. And as you said in, in the quote about the the saddle bull um, doesn't exactly have a place there at the moment. So once opportunity strikes, it might be best to, to run with it, especially if, if it is, as Cheryl said, a, a ruling family are coming to her with a position. I would take it. Yeah. Well, and I think that that might be where I was going, um, Cheryl, where you, you brought up my, my comment. I think that's almost where I was kind of going with it of not that she's, only for the first time thinking about herself maybe or, or thinking for herself, but she's, she's willing to let go of her family baggage possibly. Um, like instead of having to be torn between the two, she just decides, no, this is, I'm finally making up my mind. Like this is where I'm going to fight. And I think, I think that's how you, you answered it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. 
but yeah, Adam, you bring up some great points as well. Um, yeah. And I think I would, I would totally take it. Um, I mean, I think about some, some, uh, some other jobs. I mean, this may happen in the real world, right? You kind of see your employer, you know, people leaving the office, um, people getting fired and you're like, you know what, this is a ship that I do not want to burn down on. Um, there, there might be other moves to change and, and to get a little different perspective, um, and to get some security with a trial born, um, I mean, she immediately jumps through several ranks, right? Like she's it. Um, and mm-hmm. that definitely elevates her position quite a bit. Patrick, what do you think about Lakinda and, and her story and all this? I think she did experience some real personal growth. And I did like her offer with the position. I, I think she takes it. Yeah. I think she does because... Honestly, I don't see her doing anything else. I'd be, personally. I'd be really interested if she decided to stay, like what those motivations would be. But it doesn't seem like it seems like she would take that. I don't know. I yeah, guess, like I, I guess don't we'll see in book three. <laughs> yeah, I just don't see her doing for like the only least... way. I... God dang it, Sean, I was kidding. Sorry, go. No, I was just saying, I just I guess for the story moving forward, I don't see her going elsewhere. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I can see the only reason her staying is like us, like almost a form of stubbornness to really prove her worth to that family. I I would probably um, I don't know if I were if I were Zestalmu. Also, there's something about recognizing uh, this isn't in the notes either, but there's also something strategic about offering Lakinda that particular role. I mean, she had a, a mm-hmm. hand in this whole story that they were going to use her to get to Thrawn. Um, and now all of a sudden this is looking quite nice, um, mm-hmm. and a perfect opportunity for him to capitalize on some of that. So, um, yeah, I think that's definitely going to come into play. Yeah. It's a, a crazy development. Um, and let's talk about Thalius. Adam, I'll, I'll start with you. You know, Thalius has this incredible moment uh, when she steps in and she keeps the Magus from completing her suicide. Um, she apologizes to Thrawn afterwards for the breach in etiquette, which she ends up dismissing. Um, but what did you think about her jumping in like she did and completely taking over the situation? I liked it. I'm going to use, use Patrick's term of personal growth. We've seen her <clears throat> grow over the last two books to she's now feels comfortable in a position where she can make a major decision in front of superior officers, major characters. And, and it's like, it's nothing. And I think Thorne respected that. So he just dismissed the apology. Yeah. Thrawn gave her an inch and she took the whole yard. <laughs> um, like, yeah, and he, yeah, and I think he appreciated the, the risk that she took and, and was just, yeah, she's, she got herself there and I can only see more growth for her into the third book. Mm, yeah highly highly agree with that cheryl what are your thoughts yeah i mean thalius trusts her gut she doesn't overthink it to the point of not taking action when needed she may doubt herself but girl will step up to the plate regardless especially Mm -hmm. if it's something that she is passionate about and believes in which is why we all love her yeah and she knows the magus is going to respect the guidance and direction of a woman so she knows if anyone's going to get through to her, it will be her. Yeah. And yeah, like Thrawn, like, of course, will dismiss it because Thrawn is more interested in results. Yep. Which he says rather than etiquette. So, 
Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, um, kind of the way that it played out. Like, I'm glad that Thalia's got to have this moment, but you'd almost think that, I mean, she was brought on at the beginning of the book there for a reason, right? To, to speak with the mages. And I'm kind of surprised mm-hmm. that in any conversation, they just didn't automatically give her the lead role. <laughs> like, yeah. it was really surprising. I'm Like I said, I'm super glad that we got this moment um, because it was very powerful. And I was like, oh, we're cutting it close. Like, somebody jump in and do something. Um, mm-hmm. And she did it very fashionably. But it's just like, yeah, why, why wouldn't Thrawn have thought about just just letting her lead from the beginning it's just something yeah i thought of, about that too kind of nagged at me a little bit at the end of it but um patrick you got anything you want to say about thalius uh she is just a continuing trend on you know great headstrong female characters especially in the eu and i love how she goes her you can see her confidence grow throughout this whole book especially first starting off with um dealing with the mages like she's like, oh really? I gotta do all this. I don't want to do this. To I'm, 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 I'm calling shots at this point, and <laughs> I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah, like I don't want to make this decision to f all you guys. I'm making the decisions. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. And you know, the Magus has been kind of weird. We didn't really, um, you know, talk about her much last week because the section just didn't really call for it. But you know. She fi- she has this weird moment, right, where she fights against going back to hibernation. Like, she decides she's not going to try to complete her suicide or anything like that. Um, but then Thrawn's like, we well, need to hop back in the chamber. And she's like, I don't want to do that. But then, like, she suddenly agrees after looking in Sh- or Sherry's direction. Um, Cheryl, what happened there? Like, why would she all of a sudden go for it? Well, I think Cherie was awake and the adults just all assumed she was asleep. Like, Cherie would have sensed them all in the room. It was probably eavesdropping at her door as best she could. And I think the Maggie's just, like, he, she sensed her there. Like, mm-hmm. that much I know for sure. She she sensed her. Whether there was some sort of touch of the mind or pleading on Cherie's part for her to do as told, I don't know. But I'm betting we could maybe find out in the next book mm. what that's all about. Yeah. It just seems it seems so weird because you introduce... Like with all of these adults, you're going to, you know, cause a stink and, and, you know, cause a, a, I don't know, just some kind of dissension, right? You don't want to do this thing, but then you, that you bring a child in and all of a sudden it changes her entire demeanor. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. And I don't know that there was, um, well, the, yeah. And that was part of her connection with Helios. Right. She was like, you have used the force. Yeah, that's, that's true. part of her. That was part of what bridged not only Thalia's being a woman, but also that she was like, you know what this is. You know mm. what I'm talking about. You know about the force. You've used it. You've touched it. And so she, she'll she recognize that in Cherie as well because mm. she understands now that's one of the little navigator girls Yeah, that uses the force. Yeah. So maybe there's, um, like, within within her thinking, maybe there's a, uh, like, there's there's something bigger at play here. Um, and I need to trust, you know, if, if someone of this, I guess in her mind, stature in, in Cherry being able to touch the beyond or, or whatnot, like then there's maybe a little bit more of like, I'm just going to let this go because there's, there's something else happening. Maybe. I don't know. Adam, you have any thoughts on that? No, I don't. Anything that I would have said has been said about a thousand times better already. Cool. Easy enough. (laughs) 
<laughs> Patrick, how about you? I know, uh, I know Jared was, uh, he mentions in the chat, like he wondered this whole thing too. And he, he said he specifically remembers listening to that part and thinking, I hope they explain it on KBC. Um, <laughs> uh, Patrick, what do you think? <laughs> that was what I didn't really understand that part hmm. that well myself. Yeah, that's that's fair. I'm I am wondering if we're gonna get more info on that because it does seem to be a bit nebulous. Um, and I think it's one of those threads. Yeah, and on we'll we'll pick it up. We'll again. come back to it Somewhere eventually. Yeah. yeah, because there is a lot of that, and we're we're don't worry, we're gonna get there. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's let's flip over to the villains side of things. Um, Hapliff and the Agbui, still my third week of saying it's a fantastic band name. Um, <laughs> he's got this expansive plan um, involving more than just the Zodalak family, uh, which we all kind of talked about a couple weeks ago um, without you know too much foreknowledge. There was a lot more at play behind the scenes with several poisoned webs working together. And he thought that his plan had come together as he was dying. But it appears that Thrawn subverted his efforts. Is that actually the case? Or was Hapliff's work uh, deeper than this initial skirmish? Um, and I guess, Adam, I'll come to you first. And, and do you think that this, the foundation that he cracked in this book, do you think that it'll tumble in lesser evil? I certainly don't think it's just going to go away like the politician's some of the senior family members seem to think or want it to happen at the end of the book. It's like Hapleaf and his crew have, like you said, they've, they've cracked the foundation a little bit. They've shown that there's a willingness to go at each other's throats in a way for some resources, like just colonial powers. Oh, look, look, I'm going to take that. So I think that, that that will follow into the third book. I think there is definitely a, a problem there that they need mm. to sort out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and let me just say... And, I, and and as I go through the show notes again, I, there's no Lacfro section, so I'm just going to say that, again, Lacfro is the hero. <laughs> yeah. The the way and that... Pe- and and Lacfro's pet dog. Yes. Yeah, Lacfro's pet dog, really, though, <laughs> is the MVP of this story, I think, is, is what you're trying to say. Um, Eat that little creep. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, and I will say that from really from this point forward, um, I want to give an extra spoiler warning for if you haven't read um, Thrawn Alliances or Thrawn Treason yet, um, just to be careful uh, going forward, because we might talk about some stuff from some of those books coming up, because there's quite a bit um after after Cheryl, I know, did some research uh, in the last couple of days and after I did some research this morning, I was like. There's a lot to talk about um, with how some of these plans may have come back. But um, no, Adam, you're right. Lackfro deserves a section. He might deserve his own show. Um, the dog's the MVP. And yeah, it, it's a lot. Patrick, what are your thoughts on uh, Hapliff and the Agbui, the best band name in the Expanded Universe? Go. Um, live, from, live from Hyde Park. At Glastonbury, uh, that's what they'll be performing this summer, I think. Hmm. Often. Am I wrong? Probably not. Or are they playing? Or is it Lollapalooza? Because I know they didn't have South by Southwest this year, but I think they're performing <laughs> at Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza's fine. We need um, uh, Jose to develop a Haplif and the Ibuie band shirt for me. I'm gonna get on that after the show. All right. I have a random thought. This is like, because we've already had like, well, um, 
was it Queen Shadow that had the uh, yes, them sneaking the, off to go to a concert? Yep, the neurotransmitter affection. <laughs> we need like there needs to be an in-universe like music festival. Yeah, I'm totally game there, for it. There needs to be an in-universe music festival. And I'm just saying. And whenever we get a uh, an open-world RPG-style Star Wars game, there needs to be a whole section of the land that you can go to, and it's nothing but seeing these concerts perform live. So you mean the sixth edition of World Tour? Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> the sixth yeah. expansion, 10, 15 years later. Well, I do you think about it, that game is 11 years old. It's old. Do you have any thoughts on Hapliff and the Agbui, though? And how he, he met his end on this whole grand plan on if we're, is it done? Like, is, is the Civil War beaten or is it going to show back up? It's going to show back up. Honestly, I I felt like they were alluding to it one way or the other because with just how things were set up and ran with like the nine ruling families and all that. I honestly felt like there was and how they showed just like the politics within them. I felt like there was always going to be one spark away from starting something. Mm. They just happened to be a spark like started externally but they're always it just seems like everything's fragile Mm -hmm. like it's a very like it reminds me of kind of like do y'all remember like the lost round of the sith um like stories i actually have not read those but adam is shaking his head yes yeah it kind of reminds you of those like where it's a society that works, but it's very backstabbing and mistrusting and nothing's it just seems like everything's there's tension always. Mm. And so it's yeah. It's eventually it's gonna crumble, basically. Yes, yeah, something's going to happen. I gotcha. Cheryl, give me your thoughts on the best band name ever, Hapliff and the Egg Bowie. Yeah. I have a different thought, just because I've read of the other books that I've read with the Chiss being involved. Because the Chiss, even though they may have moments where they stumble and they get blinded by their political ambitions at times, always find their resolve in the end. Mm. They will have renewed focus in defeating the Ascendancy and regain their footing after their stumble. Because they always do in all the other previous books. So yes, there's cracks. Yes, there could be some civil, some civil, the brink of civil wars. Um, but the Chiss will always find that focus again, and then they'll be like, oh, okay, for the greater good of the Ascendancy, there's that the phrase again, that's why the book's called Greater Good, then mm-hmm. we will regroup, regroup and yeah. refocus on the actual true enemy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good point. I think that, at least in the immediate future, it's the, it seems mm-hmm. like things are going to be somewhat stable. Like, I think there are definitely still going to be some cracks there, but, and Mm -hmm. again, just a quick, like maybe two minute spoiler alert for Thrawn Alliances and Treason. Like we see even in those books that the Chiss are on the verge of civil war still, and that Mm -hmm. some of them have, have decided to go with this other, um, villain that we're, you know, going to talk about here in a minute, um, that some of those yes. families have joined up. So. My, mine was in regards to Haplif, yes. and now, yes. now Jyxthus comes about into Jyxthus. play. 
Yeah. Yeah. Let's just jump straight to it. Um, Thrawn learns that Viseri, the Watif Vizier, was hired by a strange alien who tasked him with destroying or distracting Thrawn. We know this to be Jixtus, and then we learn that Mr. Big Bad was a Grisk this whole time. So, Cheryl, I mean, with you, what are the implications of this, um, especially knowing what we know of Thrawn alliances and Thrawn treason? Mm-hmm. No. Okay, so for when I first read the reveal... Yeah, I was dying of laughter because okay. all I could hear in my head was Corey yelling, "They should have named it Thrawn Grisk." <laughs> dying. Uh, please see the Living Force episode seventeen and eighteen roundtable mm. of Thrawn Treason for that reference. But yeah, I messaged Eric. I was like, "Oh my god!" All I can hear is Corey yelling in my head, "They should have named it Thrawn Grisk." But yeah, so like once you think about it. <laughs> Yeah. It totally makes sense. Yeah. Because they are the great threat that Thrawn is so concerned about in those books and why he is tasked with seeking out and joining the Empire in the first place. It is his primary motivation. Yeah. Um, I totally had forgotten so much of those books. Like, I read those books. Like, so I was still surprised by it, but I, I shouldn't have been. But, like, I couldn't. I've only read those books each once. And it was like over a year ago, and I forgot a ton of the like major plot points that had happened. Like them, they kidnapped the Chiss Navigator girls, yeah. and like the whole thing with like the Civil War, and they were starting to infiltrate like Chiss, like life and everything. And so I was like, everything saying, we were... like I I literally just read a Wikipedia article this morning, and I was like, oh, okay, I need to reread these books yeah. because like yeah, so like they're all, like. Like, Zahn really loves laying those threads in his books. So, like, so he can come back to them. Yeah. Like, he, he'll be like, oh, well, I can't go into all the detail on that right now, but because there's, like, a larger story behind that. But I'll lay the crumb here, and eventually, when given the chance, I'll go back and come back to that. And that's what this trilogy is about this kind yep. of one so yeah i remember tom was sharing with us because this book in chaos rising jump i mean they're in the same timeline as thrawn alliances like in the clone wars mm -hmm. era that it touches and so like in that book we see that thrawn is on board his little ship with a pilot an unnamed pilot then we get to chaos rising and we learn that it was sherry the whole time right and it was mm -hmm. just a little thread that even if he was like, even if that wasn't the intention to begin with, to eventually have it be Sherry, like the fact that it was there and he was able to go, this one I'm going to tug on, this is going to be yep. a whole thing. Um, yeah, like I was, I was going back through just as you doing some research and like, even in alliances, it's like in the quote, the Grisk overwhelmed their opponents through sheer numbers and ferocity. Right. And then in treason, we learned that they use their conquered people's like stolen objects to control them of like, Oh, Hey, mm -hmm. you have this valuable piece of material. How about a brooch? How about we use it and like conquer you with it? Basically. Like that's the whole, it's the whole thing. Absolutely bonkers. Um, yeah. There's so many, so many things that I am excited about. Uh, Jared mentioned, he said, I'm 99% sure that someone on the living force said, what if Jixtus is a Grisk? <laughs> and yeah, he is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he called it. Adam. I mean, we should have seen it coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We really should have. Um, and everything that we were hypothesizing about. Yeah. The fact that like, 
that we were like, oh, what if, why is he, why is Jixus concerned about how they navigate through hyperspace? Like, what happens yes. if they get a hold of the Chase yes. navigators? And it's like, they already did. We already saw that. Yeah. <laughs> They will. they will. They will. No, because yeah. this is him finding out about them. This yes. is him inquiring about them and, and then trying to figure it out. And then we see it come into play in those later books. So, yep. And again, I love I love that this this ties back to one of my favorite um, Filoni quotes when he's talking about the Siege of Mandalore specifically, um, because like he he said, there are things that we know that happen. Right. But we don't know how they happen. Um, mm-hmm. And so we know that this eventually takes place. But there's a whole nother enthusiasm for how in the world does Jixus eventually figure this out? Like, how do yeah. these pieces fall together? Um, and I love thinking of stories in that particular way that even if we think we know we have all the answers, we haven't seen the emotional resonance of how that's going to happen and, and the specifics of those details. But, Adam, mm-hmm. what did you think of Jixus being a Grisk and what are those implications? Um knowing what we know. Uh, I, I, I kind of had a feeling throughout, so it was nice to have it confirmed, but I did definitely think of a lot uh, the, the previous quote trilogy and, and a lot of the reviews I, I both read and watched and listened to and about the Grisk and everyone kind of being like, who are these people and what's the point? So it's, it's as Cheryl said, like he laid the groundwork and now it's this huge plot point plot point in a trilogy that is universally loved at the moment like Mm -hmm. he is there's a single gris trying to bring down the whole of the chiss um and so it just i thought back to those books because i love alliances it's in my top five brownican alone thrawn's there cool (laughs) yeah Um, so it was just nice to just nice to see it and and kind of haters be haters <laughs> and i think i think that once this current trilogy is done and people go back and reread those books i think that they'll move up on their rating a little bit yeah. i think it'll help their enjoyment of those books now that they understand where the payoff is coming from mm-hmm. yeah i think it was carl who who mentioned in one of the utini slack channels once upon a time like right after he finished this book it was like oh this is gonna make going back to alliances of treason much more like worthwhile mm-hmm. like like those books are gonna and you know i'm adding in my own little bit but these books are gonna matter a lot more um rather than just being like a an interconnected rebels kind of thing and this is what thrawn's doing in the meantime time and you know some kind of handicap that's there like this is just going to elevate what those were actually doing and what that looks like um patrick any thoughts there on jixtus being the big bad and being the big bad grisk i should say uh, i think it's another one of those things where like it kind of slaps you in the face like how could i not see that coming <laughs> yeah like you question yourself. He was yourself, Grisk the idiot. whole time. The what is it, the Wandavision? <laughs> it was Agatha the whole time. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was a Grisk the whole time. <laughs> Who's that messing with everything? It's, it's just yeah. Uh, I love it's been love a good a Marvel crossover with my Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Patrick, I'll, I'll stick with you for this next one. Let's talk about Therfian. I know I'm skipping over, over Adam immediately, but I feel like I just need to, because I know he's going to have some thoughts, but I want to get yours first, Patrick. Therfian's a patriot, the patriarch of the myth family. Now, did you see that coming? When who let that happen? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I actually did not see that coming. 
I honestly, maybe I was like out of left field thinking this the whole time, but I was thinking somehow like it was going to be offered to Thrawn or something like that was going to be the big setup at the end of this Hmm. and he was going to decline it. Interesting. All right. Yeah. That, all right. I should say that because that was my theory at the like, like chapter six on mm-hmm. until everything transpired. And I was like, maybe I'm completely wrong about this. Cause <laughs> you were, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, and I'll admit it. I'll admit it. I'll... Cause I don't know. I was just like, I felt like they were setting part of me was like, yeah, they don't trust him, but it also feels like since no one really trusts him like that, but he is, he's always like on the right side and always victorious that he'll somehow mm. make his way to the top. Yeah. And Patriarch's kind of obscure and, and not really, I mean, we don't, we haven't really seen him much. We don't know exactly how much he's involved with everything else. Right. So maybe Thrawn can kind of, that would be his way of, of dipping off into the sunset, but no, cause we know that doesn't happen. Yeah. I was surprised yeah. that Thurfian this whole time is like looking for the baby step up. He's like, oh, I'm going to get to this next thing. I'm going to, I'm going to get to this next thing. Maybe one day I can have her job. And then out of <laughs> nowhere, he has the job. Um, Adam, what are your thoughts on, on your boy Thurfian getting the, the patriarchship? Before I break this down, I was going to say that in terms of spoilers on this show, two weeks ago was probably the hardest <laughs> not to give away a major spoiler ever. Right. You insulted me with his name, and I had to sit there <laughs> after finishing the book and just smile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I found it very difficult. Well, I'm very so, proud of you for for biting your you know, tongue and biting your tongue. As patriarch, your exit papers are in the mail. You... So... You gave me props at the beginning of the show for elevating your role to patriarch in the in the the opening credits. Like, come on, man, you can't fire me now. I can't fire you. The show would die. Probably. So, I was completely surprised by this decision because um, you're right, as you said. Thurthian realistically had his career goals, and he would move up the ladder. Like I think any of us would kind of think it's. It's kind of like, I don't know, working for a major company and you're on the cubicle floor and someone comes down and is like, all right, so the CEO is retiring and you're it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Completely yep, bypassing everyone else. So I, I was taken by surprise by the decision, but hey, Thurston's my boy. Give him the job. <laughs> you, you, you know what this is like, Adam, honestly? This is like Ted Lasso. This is like Ted Lasso being being an American football coach and all of a sudden (laughs) coaching an English Premier League football team. (laughs) Like, completely unexpected. This is not the role that you should be having at all, and it's wild. But, I don't know. Cheryl, what are your thoughts on Therapy? I mean, he's competent, right? I don't don't think, yeah, I don't think he's that far down. He's not on, on the cubicle level. He's in the executive He's on the executive floor mm. of the you, organization. So, he is so not. Mind you, that I I wasn't saying that in a realistic sense. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, it makes he's and he's following the ladder in a realistic way. Right. Like he's doing it the way that all of us would. It's a realistic way to. So yeah, it comes out of left field when he's jumping so many rungs to the <laughs> patriarch. Yeah. <laughs> like. Well, and this is also so, probably coming from colleagues who don't really like him very much to begin with because he's kind of a douche and, and we're like... But, like, but, well, no. I mean, he's... 
we may not like him right. because we he sees Thrawn as a threat. But I mean, you got to think about it. Part. His motivation is yeah. for the for the betterment and political aspirations of the family. Yep. So no, he makes sense in that regard. My thought is, who appoints him? Like the patriarch must ha- like. Appoint a successor Did when he he's getting to the of age of Twilight. Yeah. Like, yeah. So what did he... Because I'm assuming it's not just that he didn't have any decision in who's going to su- like be the successor. So, like, what did he see in Thurfian That's an that he point. said, yeah, that could be my successor? Especially knowing so, how much he cares about Thrawn. Exactly. Because the Patriarch was... No, you have to, like, pass Thalius. You have to look out for Thrawn because he he loves Thrawn. And so where now, how does that come into play that he's making Thurfian mm. the head? Like, so that's what I think we're going to see a lot of this play out in the next yeah but yeah it, it's it's, it's a lot of questions going on in my head that i can't answer yeah no i got you and it's a huge drive to to the third one uh chris good to see you i'm glad that you're able to pop in um yeah it's it was wild to me i think because we got so little of thurfian like we just got these little pieces in this book you know we got we like this was a very um um like a side character almost uh, like kind of focused book, like on just expanding what the ascendancy looks like and get bringing in mm-hmm. some other families and in that. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was a little bit jarring almost to be like, Oh, we got a little bit of Thurfian here. We got a little bit of Thurfian there. Is this Thalmu popped up like once or twice. And then all of a sudden at the end of the book, it's like, bam. And it's like, Oh, I know what we're talking about in book three. <laughs> like this is where it's all going to kind of hit the fan um, and where everything's going to mm-hmm. come to a head. Um, and speaking of, you know, coming to the end and, and being drawn up to, um, like drawn up to the head, like, what do you make of, of Thurfian's new aid, um, and his warning of the ancient family history of the myth and the terrible alien weapon known as Starflash? And like, I've got like four or five questions here that are just like, are they connected? Have we already seen Starflash? Are they aliens? The Grisk? Like, was the aid creepy? Like, why is all of this so heavy? Like, like at the end of the book, it all just happened. Um, Cheryl, uh, mm-hmm. what do you think about all this? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, the myth are the most powerful ruling family of the ascendancy. Are they not? Yeah. Yeah. Am because the, they are, the, right? The, yeah. Cause the Stibler were the OGs, but then they disappeared off into whatever. Right. So, so I think that it's definitely connected. Like this is maybe why this is why the myth are where they are. So it has to be tied to it. I, I, I don't think we've seen Starflash before because I Wikipedia it and there was nothing there because I wanted to see if it popped up in Legends. Mm-hmm. Um, but ha- at least under that name it hasn't. But like, yeah. Um, in Thrawn Treason, Thrawn says that even he is not privy to the deepest secrets of the Ascendancy. Mm. So this could certainly be opening up that part, that thread to us in Mm. this next book. And I think it is. I think that's where we're going. Um, I I don't like to speculate too much about whether the aliens tied to that weapon are the Grisks, because I don't don't speculate a lot. I just sit back and enjoy the ride. And yeah, the the aid was very foreboding and a little intense. Like, dude, chillax and dial it back a bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those, like, like all of a sudden you become, yeah, like this 
supreme leader. You become this president. And it's like, oh, hey, by the way, we've been fighting this secret war for decades. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, and, UFOs are real. Here's all the information it. we have on Area 51. <laughs> yeah. The nuclear launch codes. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's a lot there. Um, there's a lot. And for me, you know, yeah, Jared says there's nothing like good old legendsy super weapons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm right, right there a with it. Center point station. You know, and it's weird because there was part of me, and not being privy to a lot of things that happened in Legends, right? And knowing that Thrawn ends up in the Empire for some very specific reason, you know, there was a part of me, and especially knowing that they kind of refer to that area as lesser space. When I heard Starflash, and you know. Uh, weapons and like all this. I was like, is this just the Death Star? Is this just another name for the Death Star? And I don't think so in actuality. No, it's not but, because but Thrawn there's... learns about the Death Star and he knows his project Stardust. This right. is like in the past. Like Starflash is like Yeah, so that's, that, I think that's back. where that's where my head was running of this is Clone Wars era. Dooku and them and the Separatists are developing it. So I don't know. And that may not be it. I'm hoping it's something different. If it ended up being the same, it's and it's some extra connected well, tissue. Well, he says maybe. ancient aliens, right? So this is like right. We're gonna really gonna learn how the ascendancy came to form in the way that it has. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just excited to see it. Um, I I can't remember exactly off the top of my head who it was that I was talking to. I'm actually gonna find it because I'm gonna feel really terrible if I butcher it. But we, we were talking about in the uh, the greater good discussion. Um, chat about how it seemed like the aide came in like he was handing over the president's book of secrets from National Treasure 2 um, <laughs> <laughs> and how it needs to be National Treasure 3 is actually just going to be uh, Thrawn finding a way through some mechanism to end up helping Nicolas Cage save the galaxy from the Grisks and it's a whole thing um, wow. put Nick Cage in he has to help Nicholas Cage re-steal the Declaration of Independence. Didn't he steal it last movie? He has to steal it again. Uh, by the way, spoiler alert for National Treasure. Uh, it was Heather, <laughs> uh, Heather, Heather M. in the uh, in the Greater Good chat. We were talking about that, and it was I don't know. It was it was really funny, and Tom even got in on it. He was like, "I will not divulge any secrets for for National Treasure 3. <laughs> and I was like, "Dang it, dang it!" Wait, uh, there is a National Treasure Three? They're working on it. There's actually this, this is fun tangent. There's actually a series in development um, and they're also in the process of writing the script for the third film so yeah it's it's eventually it's one of those things will be the stand-in for nick (laughs) it's one of those things where it's been a uh it's been in development hell for a very long time um so i'm hoping to get it eventually but adam do you have any any thoughts on on how all these things are connected i know you got some friends with you now no, I'm going to not speculate this time around, and I'm just going to see what happens. I just want the third book, and I'm glad that we don't have to wait 12 months. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's coming up in November. I am very, very excited. That will probably be the book that closes out our year um, on KBC. Super, super stoked for it. Um, I don't really have much else to say. I mean, we're coming up at the end. Um, I, you can talk about this specific section. You can talk about the whole book if you want. Um, Adam, what were your favorite moments or characters? What you got? I joke about it, but I really did like Lacfro. He was this common citizen of the Ascendancy who who inadvertently helped Thrawn save the day as the hero does, and then he put down Hapley. 
So by putting down Hapleaf, all of Hapleaf's crimes, he automatically became number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cheryl, how about you? Yeah, I like that in this book we got... Sorry, I'm talking about the book as a whole, not yeah. the last few chapters, but I just like... Like, ultimately, this book didn't have a lot of Thrawn, mm-hmm. which in like kind of bugged me a little bit just because I'm a Thrawn stand. But I like that it gave us so much more insight into Chiss society, the everyday Chiss, yeah. like the people that aren't involved in the military. Like, it really, like, expanded mm-hmm. on all of that side of it. And that, I do, I like that we... tag is, is so important. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think that uh, I like, you know, Lakinda and getting more Simacro and like having those type of characters fleshed out more too was really nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited for the next book. And yeah, I just, I'm really eager to get it. And I just want more. Yep. Yep. Patrick, how about you? Favorite moments, favorite characters? Oh, my favorite moment is still when she gets yeeted out the airlock. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you would. You would. I'm not at all surprised. <laughs> I'm just saying, you can't top that. Uh, oh yeeted. Love it. <laughs> Love it. That was not my favorite section, but I, I admire you just see her get, yours. <laughs> just get tossed out the airlock and hear her shout, Kobe! Jared Jared just posted uh, Elmo being yeeted from his box in a grocery store off the uh, aisle rack. I don't know. Oh. It's hilarious. So let's go back and check that out. <laughs> um, now, I, I love that we got the expansions of the Chiss families. I, I loved getting that. I know there wasn't a whole lot of Thrawn, um, but in a weird... It was different. Like, this book was very different than Alliances in the way that it spread things out. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that we got... I love that we got to know more about his background in particular. Like this is the, this is the society and the culture that drives him to be the way that he is. And this is what he's operating against. And some of it that he kind of carries with him into his Imperial work. Like there's, there's a lot of growth when you learn about people's backgrounds. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm all for, for seeing this and, and what it did to elevate Thrawn alliances and Thrawn treason, like to, to connect those pieces together. It's just Zahn's writing is incredible in that way. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he, he's got things that he's hoping to still tell. I know. Um, I hope he writes star Wars for a very, very, very long time. Um, so I was very glad to get this book, but I think that is going to do it for us. Um, Cheryl, thank you for joining us this whole month. Um, incredible human being always love your insight on Thrawn and everything from these books Um, so glad that we had you with us Uh, but thank you to everyone for listening and participating in the Conjure Book Club we will be back next week to talk through Age of Rebellion villains in the meantime you can find us on Twitter at Conjure Book Club I am on Twitter at underscore T Guthrie Adam is at DarkstarAU and Patrick is on Discord at Mac11 and on Twitter at DrunkelPat you can also follow the Utini Podcast Network account at Utini Network for updates on all of our shows including exclusive Patreon releases and special shout out to our guest this week once again Cheryl Bell you can find her in the discord community at Cheryl with the blue 
with the blue butterfly. I can never say that right the first time. Um, and on Twitter at Cheryl K. Bell. If you want to support the show, consider leaving a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. It'll help people find us and hopefully join our incredible community. You can also pick up the books we read on utini.com. Just look up the books you're interested in, click on one of our affiliate links on the book profile page, and you'll help keep us on the air and produce some more awesome content. You'll find links to Greater Good and June's book, The Age of Republic Limited Comic Series, in the show notes and pinned to our chat in the Discord channel. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on Patreon or pick up some merch at utini.com forward slash merch. A special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson, Elizabeth Cloutier, Jason Mitchell, and Freddie C. on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier, and Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. And shout out to Adam, Patrick, and Cheryl for podcasting with me today. May the Force be with you, everyone. 